0: From WGCU News, this is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. It's been more than 30 years now since the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan or SERP was enacted by the United States Congress to fund projects to help restore the Everglades. When originally authorized, it was estimated that SERP would cost about $8.2 billion, split between the federal government and the state of Florida, and take approximately 30 years to complete. Well, while all of the projects it laid out have not been completed, some progress has been made. On today's show, we're going to get a snapshot of that progress and ongoing restoration and rehabilitation efforts with the CEO of the Everglades Foundation, Eric Eichenberg. He stopped by our studio last Thursday. Let's hear that conversation now. Eric Eichenberg is CEO of the Everglades Foundation. Eric, welcome back to the show. It's nice to have you in the studio for the first time in a while. Great to be back. Thank you. Weigh in on today's conversation using WGCU social media. Find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So for starters, we've talked to you over the years about, you know, Things that the Everglades Foundation pays attention to, but just remind our listeners what is the Everglades Foundation? Just give us a little history lesson.
1: Well, we are a uh, 501c3 organization that was founded in 1993 uh, as a result of a algae bloom in Florida Bay down in the Florida Keys. Uh, we had um, original um, directors and founders who loved the outdoors, loved to fish, uh, to engage on the on the water, certainly the fishing cap of the world down in the Keys, and understanding the amount of polluted water that was moving through the Everglades itself, making its way down to the Keys and down to Florida Bay. I wanted to do something about it back again in the early 90s. Uh, here we are on the verge of a 30-year anniversary coming up um, in a couple years, and the good news is we haven't, um, we haven't taken our eye off this ball, and that is to ensure that this national treasure, America's Everglades, is not just restored, but is protected for generations to come. And we're, um, we're proud of the momentum that we've had over the last number of years. Who was George Barley? George Barley, a, a developer out of Miami, um, a conservationist, someone who loved the water, who loved being outdoors, uh, had, a, had a home in the Keys. Um, and was able to put his, um, his thoughts and his efforts behind uh, creating the Everglades Foundation along with the gentleman Paul Jones. And uh, here we are uh, 20, what, eight years later, and um, we're, uh, we're working towards the ultimate goal here. Um, I do want to get to some of the things that are working on right now, but
0: how much worse or better, or is it apples and oranges, are things now between 1993 and today, because there was a need then, obviously. Sure. Where are we now, just in broadly
1: speaking? I think um, I, I don't want to. I don't want to go all the way back to 1993, although that is a historical uh, time period that should be evaluated. What I what, what we've been looking at here is just in the last, let's just say, the last decade, um, and we've had multiple summers where they've been filled with algae, Lake Okeechobee. We've seen this massive amount of dumping of lake water to the east and to the west fires in the Everglades, a lack of fresh water flowing the way it should go south. Um, Yet, even despite those challenges over the last decade, we have been able to organize and work with individuals who, um, small business owners, chambers of commerce, realtors on both coasts, uh, those that are out on the water, um, fishing guides, boat manufacturers, a whole plethora of voices that have now come to the table to say enough of the crises, enough of the toxic water, enough of the dead fish or the loss of jobs, the economic impact. And instead, let's get behind a plan that's rooted in science, that redirects the way water flows on the Florida Peninsula. And now when you have political will, which is a key ingredient to success, once you have the political desire to see it done both in Washington and in the state of Florida, that's where we're seeing the progress and that's why we're optimistic. So let's start with the EAA Reservoir. Yes, Um, It is
0: beginning to be constructed. They've at least cleared the land and sort of set the groundwork for it. That's right. Um, What is the state of that project? And then I want to talk about the lawsuit that's been filed against it.
1: Uh, listeners should know that this reservoir uh, is a key component to overall Everglades restoration. A reservoir, above-ground reservoir, directly south of Lake Okeechobee, within the Everglades agricultural area, uh, primarily sugarcane fields that are there. Uh, these are acres that were that are owned by the state of Florida, taxpayer-owned land that was previously leased to one of the two major sugar companies. That lease expired. A little bit of uh, issues that needed to be dealt with there, but the lease had expired. Um, the land is now back with the water management, South Florida Water Management District. Under Governor DeSantis, the state moved out quickly to begin the construction of a 6,500-acre stor- stormwater treatment area, a constructed man-made wetland that will remove the phosphorus and the nitrogen from the water. That the water is going to come from Lake Okeechobee. Uh, to complement that that filtration uh, system will be a 10,500-acre above-ground reservoir, which will store roughly 120 billion gallons of water from Lake Okeechobee, not just have it there as stagnant, but to uh, release the water once it's purified, cleansed, send that water south through the Everglades. We can talk more about the progress to the southern part of the system. But that reservoir will be a new outlet for the Army Corps of Engineers the state of Florida that when the lake rises and it will as the lake rises you now have the ability to store water south and and when you send it through the Everglades you're recharging the aquifer the water supply now for almost 9 million Floridians you're capturing carbon uh there in the in the uh in the wetlands of the Everglades themselves and then a third of that water in that reservoir will go to agriculture, um, two-thirds of it to the natural systems, the Everglades. And that project needs to get going. Thankfully, it's uh, it's underway.
0: The nature of the lawsuit, as I understand it, filed by the sugar companies, is that they won't get enough water. But what you just said is that some of that water in the reservoir
1: will go to agriculture. That's right. And, uh, you know, it's somewhat perplexing um some of the media coverage of those lawsuits, I'm not sure those that were promoting the or talking to the press actually read what was in the lawsuit. But be that as it may, um, this reservoir, again, will provide a third of the water to agriculture, primarily sugar. And then, again, two-thirds of that fresh water, uh, cleansed, will go to the Everglades down to Florida Bay and the Florida Keys. It's a project that's been 21 years in the waiting, um, we've had st- starts and stops and potential sales and whatnot. Here we go again. Uh, let's get it done. Let's let's build it finally. If you had to guess when it might be done, what would you say? Well, I'm hope I've circled the year 2030. Okay. And I've done that because when uh, Bill Clinton and uh, and the U.S. Congress passed the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan in the year 2000, it laid out a 30-year timeline. So we're in the now entering the third decade of this adventure. And uh, we're going to do all we can to see these projects finished by the year 2030. So that's the date that uh, I've circled, and hopefully we'll get there. So, SERP, um, that you just mentioned, um it's the comprehensive
0: Everglades restoration or plan is it the central it's, com- it's comprehensive com- yes comprehensive. Well, i yes. saw somebody wrote central and i thought that's not right well, or is, well, is there another one called serp C- that's comprehensive
1: or that's central it's acronym soup unfortunately we live in this <laughs> these acronyms i tell my kids no acronyms but anyway the issue is you have within the comprehensive plan the central Everglades plan um, which the acronym there is sep okay. so you have serp sep and uh, anyway
0: well it laid out you know a lot of things. Yes. You know, I know that's a we could do like two hours just on Serp. But what are the things that have been accomplished that it laid out? What are the things that are you know almost being made? And yes. What are the things that are still just you know ideas on paper?
1: It's a that's a that's a poignant question and a, and a question that is timely. Uh, the Picayune Strand, a project that. Um, was going to ensure that water flows into eastern Collier County, ultimately down to Ten Thousand Islands, a uh, an old development effort that went, thankfully, went awry. The state of Florida took over that land uh, this this July, um, first week of July here in 2021. They turned on the um, the pump stations, uh, massive pump stations, to move water through eastern Collier County. Uh, The Picking Strand project is finished, and we're now starting to see the benefits of that water being spread across the landscape. Um, You have the uh, reservoir along the St. Lucie estuary called the C-44 Reservoir. Uh, That is completed. That will be turned on next month. Uh, I was out there uh, just last month with um, uh, Senator Rubio was on site. We had a number of stakeholders, including Audubon Florida and others. Uh, The Army Corps was giving the senator a tour of that project. And to see that and 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 to see the impact that that reservoir will have on on that community thankfully the 44 is finished we're about a year and a half away from the C43 along the Caloosahatchee. they are very similar they're going to collect local runoff uh water that falls in this in the uh on the uh, basin within the Caloosahatchee, the same on the St. Lucie store that water Uh, On the St. Lucie side, there's a stormwater treatment area to clean it. We need the same over here on the West Coast. Current plans don't call for that, right? Uh, The current plan did not, but there's discussions within the South Florida Water Management District. You need to. The the the, pollu- the pollution is is real. We're seeing it. We're living it. So you cannot just build a reservoir and, and, and store dirty water and then deliver it back to an estuary that and needs— And I'm an aquarium keeper. I know if you don't move that water around or filter it, it's not good. Yes. So having that filtration, uh, it's desperately needed. Hopefully we can work towards getting that done. It needs to happen. But that project is about a year and a half away. And to have those two reservoirs east and west of the lake, then the building of the reservoir to the south— it's providing the different outlets or the different tools that water managers need, ultimately to redirect the way water flows on the peninsula. Uh, this has been a tremendous amount of progress, and we just need to keep it going. And the C forty three reservoir is south of the lake, out toward like Alva or y- east yes. of Alva, southeast uh, uh, of Alva, maybe something th- that, like that. That's right, and um, and it's it is south of the Caloosahatchee. Um But again, by storing that local. Basin runoff, um, yeah. Because the Calusa needs, an, and interesting enough, over the last number of weeks, there's a effort to redo or rewrite the manual that governs Lake Okeechobee. That was going to be my next question. Uh, well, I apologize for getting no, out of you. No, that's okay. They're the but, low sum. Yeah, that's right. Um, and and the Calusa needs a certain amount of water during the course of a year from Lake Okeechobee to balance out the salt water that intrudes from the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, an estuary needs that balance of salt and fresh. It needs the Goldilocks uh, view of how water is that brackish water. If you have too much salt water, you get a negative impact. Too much of that fresh water blasting, uh, let alone being polluted, we see the damage there. So these reservoirs will allow for uh, the beneficial water to flow to the Caloosahatchee when it needs it. Um, and then certainly the Everglades during the dry season, instead of having fires to the south, let's have that reservoir deliver fresh water. Um, and head that down to the Florida Keys. So I want to get your take
0: on when I had on somebody from the Corps to talk about the CC alternative. We talked about the EAA reservoir, and he said that once it's complete, it will reduce the need. F- I think how we put it. It's like sixty-one percent reduction in how often we have to release water, but it didn't really say anything about. How much water that right. translates to? True, um, the you know, people want to know how many gallons or yeah. What, what's well, the... I just I'm always trying to get that equation of, you know, when when water's coming out of the lake, it's a million gallons an hour or whatever. Right. Like how fast would that fill up the EA reservoir in an hour,
1: in a month? You know. Well, depending on how much the cubic feet feet per second of water that flows through those sta- those pump stations, uh, you can, as we have seen at times, uh, when they open up the the gates on the West Coast, um, the just the pure volume that's happening in such a short period of time, yeah. if you stretched it out over uh, months or over the course of a year, maybe the impact wouldn't be so great. But because we don't have any other vehicle to move water today... When we get a serious rain event, we get uh, conditions in the rainy season where we're we're seeing the lake rise quickly. again, the only option unfortunately is to open the gates and go east and west so what we're what we're advocating and and the governor's been very clear on this, you have to have an equitable balance of where water goes during the course of a calendar year uh, when both coasts don't want water and they don't want it, certainly in the wet rainy season. Um, and the Everglades and Florida Bay is desperate for fresh water, then allow for the lake to lower during the dry season. Do it in a very respectful or a very conscious way so that if you are seeing drought conditions, you're not losing water because you want to have water to be able to um, recharge an aquifer or whatnot. Um, But lower the lake, allow water to flow south, and then when the rainy season starts June 1st, you have the capacity to let the lake rise, not discharging east and west, but let the lake rise. We've spent spent a billion dollars to harden the Hoover, Herbert Hoover Dyke, allow the lake again to um, to increase, uh, but then keep that going during the course of the year. Lower it, allow it to rise, end these discharges but get a natural flow of water to the south. As you understand it, is the rehabilitation of the dike still on track to be completed next year or so? Yes. So uh, as the dike is uh, looking about another 12 months, this losem process, the Lake Okeechobee manual will need another 12 months before it's ready to go. So it's all going to coincide at the same time. And as they have the new manual for Lake Okeechobee, mind you, none of the infrastructure that we've just talked about is part of the equation. So as these reservoirs are built and they come online, it's even greater opportunity for the Army Corps of Engineers, the Water Management District, to manage the water properly. Understood. So this uh, CC alternative, which is the preferred alternative that they're moving
0: forward with, it is not building into that model these finished reservoirs. So once
1: they become finished, then that tweaks that model differently. Yes, they rewrite the model again, or the the manual. They'll go through another process of uh, updating the manual but i don't want to i don't want listeners to get caught up in cc or there was bb there's aa there's alphabet soup on this they gave a, they ran a bunch of models through computers and they kicked they spit out what you could potentially see that benefits everyone uh as they continue to refine it it needs to be equitable there needs to be shared adversity on all sides um, not You shouldn't blast one coast vis-a-vis protecting another. You shouldn't leave the lake harmless. The Everglades is desperate for water during the dry season. So all of those components need to be put on the table, and it needs to be managed in a way that's, again, uh, equitable. Water is being distributed in a timely manner. And let's stop this chronic dumping of polluted water to the west coast. It fuels red tide. We see the dead fish. We see the economic loss. Uh, 2021. Let's do let's do this better.
0: Is the Everglades Foundation engaged in the comment period or whatever they're calling it? Because I know that you know they they've come out with this is what we think, but we're going to tweak it. Are you guys directly involved in that somehow?
1: We are. We're very proud of the fact that we have um, we have hydrologists on the foundation science team that are able to uh, run these very complex model. Uh, assumptions. you put in your assumptions, you kick out different hydrological models. You. Uh, as you're, it's kind of like uh, doing a dial. You, if you, you can't just turn one dial and then expect it to be solved. You have to turn dials uh, simultaneously. It is a closed system. You make impact one place, it That's right. changes something else. That's right. So how do you thread that needle during this time where infrastructure is not yet finished, knowing that there's even better days coming with reservoirs complete, and then this manual gets revised once again. So we're in a good spot. If you're just tuning in, I'm talking with Eric Eikenberg. He's CEO of the Everglades Foundation. We're getting an update
0: on Everglades restoration and protection efforts and some of the major restoration projects underway in South Florida. To engage with us and your fellow listeners about our conversation or any of our shows, find us on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU. Use the hashtag GCL. Um, Let's talk about raising U.S. 41. That's a project that had made some progress and they got some more funding. Where are we at with that?
1: Well, I would say we're on the five-yard line, uh, getting ready to head into the end zone on on raising of 41. Uh, everyone is uh, either has, has driven 41 to see the three and a half miles of bridges as you head towards Miami. Um, that strip of asphalt that had once cut off the flow of water into Everglades National Park by raising the road by building these bridges, we're we're having fresh water flow for the first time in about a hundred years. Uh, We were out a few weeks ago with the removal of the last remnants of the original Tamiami Trail. Um, So that's no longer an impediment to flow. We have about $100 million that's left to put some large culverts uh, where the road bed is there. That's uh, alongside the canal. So I I would say within the next 12 months to 16 months or so, that Tamiami Trail will be finished. And again, that's like pulling the plug in the bathtub. Once you can deal with that at the southern end, um, and then the central Everglades plan that I had mentioned previously, that's uh, that's uh, removing the compartmentalization within the Everglades. So you're getting sheet flow. You want natural sheet flow. Because they, the, they've water managers have broken it all Correct. up into modules or whatever they call them. That's right. And some of those modules fill up. Others are dry. So remove those barriers or those dams, those dikes. And then, get a sheet flow moving through the system under the bridges into the park, and then again, it all goes back to Florida Bay and the Florida keys does i seventy five also have a similar water blockage aspect no, it doesn't because when the road was uh, built, um the interstate was built as you ride over seventy five maybe every half mile or so, you feel the your car they going built that over into those it. culverts. So water is flowing. Uh, it's not hindering the flow through uh, that portion of the system. So um, you talked about back in '93
0: when the Everglades Foundation was formed, it was because of a massive blue-green algae bloom, or an algae bloom, I'm presuming
1: it was blue-green since it was on that coast. Yeah, it was, and it resulted in dead seagrass and dead fish. So, yes, it was an algae outbreak. And So we, back in
0: 2018, 2017, 2018, we had the big... Event that affected all of South Florida from the east to the west, um, how much of that does the Everglades Foundation focus on not just the environmental impact but also the health impact
1: Well, I would say the uh, the environmental impact was um, was the low hanging fruit because you could see it and and then the economic impact yeah. was also because it, it affected jobs it affected businesses. But what got folks really interested was um, the, the concerns that folks have raised on the health side. Um, you know, you had animals that were in the water, uh, a few cases of um, canines, dogs over in mm-hmm. the East Coast that went into the St. Lucie or in the, that vicinity, um, ingested the water, and, and next thing you know, the dogs either had passed or were seriously uh, um, ill. Even uh, this year, uh, toxic blue-green algae infiltrated the drinking water of the city of West Palm Beach and the town of Palm Beach, and folks were going to the hospital with stomach ailments, Mm -hmm. fever. Doctors didn't understand what it was. Again, here we are in COVID. Um, And then, uh, as I heard from a person, the day they were discharged from the hospital in West Palm Beach, the city notifies folks to stop drinking the water. Well, people were drinking the water for a number of days uh, there's organizations or s- researchers that are looking at a neurological impact of this blue-green microcystis. So it is at the forefront. There is a health concern that needs to be addressed. But again, you can solve this. You can solve the man-made disasters. And blue-green algae is a man-made disaster. And by d- redirecting the way water flows, cleansing it, uh, allowing it to flow south, you're avoiding where it doesn't need to be. And that's certainly in the coastal the coastal communities. So uh, especially during the last
0: uh, legislative session in 2020, there was a lot of money put toward Everglades restoration. So there seems to be political will for funding projects. What about political will for
1: keeping nutrients from flowing into the system? That's a, uh, that's a great question because you need to have both. You, uh, we've certainly have uh, experienced uh, record funding, good good amount of dollars that have gone directly to these projects. But uh, you have to, you also, if you have a hole in your roof and it's water's pouring through, you got to you got to deal with the the roof. And and the issue here with Lake Okeechobee is the amount of nutrient pollution that comes from the north. Uh, we have certainly communities that are uh, in, around these waterways that are on septic tanks. You have. Um, for many years in the past, you had agricultural that was back pumping into the lake. All that to say legislation was passed. They want to ensure that the Department of Agriculture is going out on these farmlands to see what type of nutrients are being um, placed on the landscape. That data has to go to the Department of Environmental Protection to at least begin at a baseline. I think it's been slow. They've been slow on the draw to to deal with that. This is a Department of Agriculture responsibility and hopefully, we can start seeing some progress on improving the the situation that you've outlined, because it is a problem.
0: Yeah, it, it's definitely a problem. Um, so there was good
1: funding in during 2020. How do you feel about 2021? Uh, I feel good about it. Very good about it. I was in Tallahassee uh, earlier this week, where we had discussions related to the budget. So we should we should continue. We'll work with the governor's office, the Senate, and the House. Uh, but we want to we want to move towards ensuring that that 300 million plus that's going to go to the comprehensive Everglades restoration plan. Those construction dollars to build these reservoirs are extremely important. And then we also need the the Washington working with our congressional delegation. We need money coming from D.C. to complement what Florida is investing. For every dollar that the Florida legislature puts towards appropriates towards Everglades restoration, it needs to be matched. By Congress, and over the 20 years of this program, that's how SERP was designed, right? A, a 50-50 marriage. Right. You want to restore the Everglades? It's a marriage between Washington and Tallahassee. Uh, the state of Florida has been ahead of been ahead of this because we had to acquire a bunch of land for these projects. But Congress, the White House, they need to step up in a way that demonstrates that we are serious about restoring the Everglades. It's serious here in Florida. We need Washington to step up. So uh, last question, what is the current state of the George Barley water price? Well, we had uh, incentivized the private sector to come forward to um, allow for technologies to remove phosphorus from fresh water. As we've talked about, Lake Okeechobee, the Everglades, suffers from too much phosphorus. We see the negative impact. So we we unveiled and we began a process of uh, bringing entrepreneurs together uh, that program went through a four-stage process. We were down to four teams. This was a moonshot. You had to really be able to scale up to do so. COVID hit. We had some challenges with those teams. Um, we're, we're at a point now where we're working with the state of Florida, to potentially transition to a proving ground concept. A lot of people come to you and say, I have the answer to Florida's water problems. And instead of maybe going to the legislature or Uh, hiring a bunch of lobbyists to get um, millions of dollars towards something that may not be proven. Let's develop a system like the Barley Prize was heading towards where bring, bring technology to the landscape, bring it to these water bodies, allow the technology to be proven. And if it reduces and removes the phosphorus, it's a game changer because then you can deploy the technology to the various hot spots north of Lake Okeechobee, east, west, wherever it might be. Government cannot solve this problem alone. We need the private sector. We need entrepreneurs to come forward. We're confident that what the barley price showed was that it's there. Technology can do it. We were in Canada for five months. Uh, Some of those technologies are still working with carrot farmers and other uh, agricultural interests to improve water quality. Uh, our moonshot didn't get to the ultimate $10 million, but that this proving ground idea has some has some fundamental opportunities, and that's what we're also pursuing. So the four finalists,
0: they are not competing for the grand prize because they didn't feel like they could accomplish the million gallons or, that's right. a, you know, the, the, the scale, the, the next step in scale.
1: That's true. Unfortunately, yes. and um, But we also realize that if we can uh, open it up for not only maybe those four, but others to come um, w- with the Great Lakes, we had great. We have great partnerships with um, uh, folks up around the Great Lakes. The state of Ohio, Michigan, they're looking for solutions too. So we do it with autonomous vehicles. We have a proving ground in Orlando. Uh, let's figure out maybe how we can do this on water quality and innovation. Again, with the foundation step forward, with the barley prize has moved this down the road. Let's take it to the next level, and maybe it's an opportunity to work with the water co- school here at W. Um, excuse me, at Florida Gulf Coast University. We've talked with the University of Florida, members of the legislature are interested in this. Uh, I think it has some good potential to be a leader in cleaning up water, not just for Florida, but around the uh, nation and the world. Um, Any final thoughts or any uh, major projects I've forgotten
0: to bring up that you wanted to highlight?
1: I'll just say quickly that um, we are at a critical juncture here as it relates to Everglades restoration, redirecting the way water flows on the peninsula. Any any listener who's interested in this topic, I encourage you, evergladesfoundation.org is a source that can provide additional information. But engage with us, certainly with your legislative uh, delegation, both federally, state, uh, governor's office, encourage that we get this done. 2030, that's what we've circled. We've got nine years to do it. Um, this is America's Everglades. Long live them. Well, all right. I want to
0: thank my guest, Eric
1: Eichenberg, is CEO of the Everglades
0: Foundation. Eric, thank you so much for your time. Great to be here. If you missed any of today's show, you can always see your episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by Tara Calligan and myself. Our director is Richard Chinqui. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike canary This is NPR for Southwest Florida, 90.1 WGCU. Fort Myers, Naples, and Port Charlotte, and 91.7 WMKO Marco Island, a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University.